Welcome to the 72nd episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today's guest is Sunil Kumar. Sunil Kumar is the founder and CEO of Trainio. Trainio helps people gain sales jobs in the technology sector. Sunil always had an entrepreneurial spirit. He is dyslexic and has ADHD. When he was 15, he had a snake business. He has worked in several sales organizations throughout his career. When he was 18 years old, he realized that he was good in sales. He didn't grow up rich. While growing up, he aspired to earn 40,000 pounds a year. He met his co-founder Omar and Omar took him under his wing. He learned the basics of selling and that's where he started his sales journey. He had a bunch of ups and downs, but he weathered through. You don't want to miss this episode. Listen to how Sunil learned sales and now helps others learn it too. Visit nodegree.com to start your journey. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash nodegree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show wouldn't be possible without you. Let's get this show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today I have Sunil Kumar. Can you give a brief introduction of yourself? Yeah. Hi, Jonaid. I appreciate you having me on. I am another chap without a degree, believe it or not. Um, and I've recently founded a, a boot camp for the software sector. So SDR, sales development representatives, to get into software with out any previous experience, any requirements as far as education goes. That's freaking amazing because, man, if I could go back, I might have gone into software sales because I know in tech, in the tech industry, right, they have these programmers, all that stuff. And the, and the top tech sales reps, they double or triple their salaries, right? It's not unheard of half a million to a million plus if you're in tech sales. So definitely something, look, if all things go like things don't work out with my company. That's the next direction I'm going. So, you know, I'm coming to you for that. So let's kind of take it back. How was high school like for you? Oh, man, it sucked. I didn't graduate high school. So, oh, you didn't graduate high school? Oh, man. No, Respect. no, no. <laughs> In England, to graduate high school, you need like six GCSEs, they say. Um, I got five. So I was one off. I had a tough time. I'm dyslexic. I've got ADHD. Uh, I'd say I'm a clever person, but I'm definitely not academic. High school's not built out for me, right? It just didn't work. So um, I was always trying to figure out ways to make money, side hustles. So in the UK, I do a bit of shooting. I had a gun license. Me and my dad used to repair guns on the weekends um, for the gun shop. But when I was 15, I had my first taste of entrepreneurial life and actually started a uh, snake business. Snake business? Tell me about that. So I was importing snakes from New England, closer to home, right? And Canada, so a company called Urban Reptile. Are you familiar with ball pythons or the world? No, I don't know much about my friend had some snakes. I don't know much, but I know there's like a community of people who like prefer certain types of snakes and all that. So if we, if we go back a little bit, I was a weird kid, right? I used to like shooting guns in the countryside, finding reptiles. I loved animals, but I was allergic to dogs and cats. So there wasn't much choice as far as pets were. I could get a, to a tortoise, I could get a gecko, you know. Those are the things I weren't allergic to. So I chose a pair of lizards. I, I chose two geckos, male and a female. And I was like 12 years old at the time. And one day, like a year later, they bred and they had two bait, two eggs. And the eggs hatched and there were two more little geckos. And I sold the geckos to the pet shop for like 30 pounds each. And I was like, well, if I can just take two animals and they have sex, right, and have babies and I can sell those babies, like that, that's... That seems like a business, you know, in the simplistic mind of a 13-year-old, however old I was. And I started planning out what else I could breed. I started looking at expensive dogs, but that wouldn't work because I was allergic. And then one day I found 
um, a snake online for £2,000. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of money for a snake. If you breed a snake, you get like 40 of them. So it was like, well, 40 times two is 80, right? That's £80,000. It's a lot of money. And I started looking at that. So me and my dad got together. We uh, started, I pitched my whole family. I did a, like a PowerPoint presentation. They gave me £500 for my 15th birthday. This is this is two years later. Me and my dad repaired some guns. We got another £500 together. He was also an engineer at a factory at the time. They were chucking out an old machine. I actually got the machine. I, I researched who made it, a guy in Wales. I sold it to him for 660 quid, something like that. So we took it all the way to Wales. I got, I bought my first batch of snakes from a, a company called Urban Reptile in, in, uh, in Canada. I imported them. They bred doubled my money and then i was like well what else can i do this is two years later right it takes a couple of years to get them up to weight to breed them to sell them at my 17th birthday my cousin who's a bit of an entrepreneur was celebrating with my family and me at a restaurant and he said well, it's snake business um how much is it going to take for you to really get it off the ground i don't know i haven't really thought about that he said what if i gave you ten thousand pounds and the way snakes works is it's like any market scarcity holds value right? So you have a rare gene that they find in Africa. That's the first one. And then when they breed it, there's 10 more. So it goes from worth 300,000 pounds to 100,000 pounds, right? Because now there's 10 of them. And when they breed it again, it goes so on and so on until this snake has gone from 300,000 pounds till five years later, there's thousands of them. And now it's worth a couple of grand, right? So I, I negotiated a deal with the largest reptile breeder in America called New England Reptile Distributors, um, largest bull python breeder. And uh, the guy, he's wrote a book, he's very famous in the industry, his name is Kevin McCurley. And I was pretending to be my dad, right? Because I wasn't old enough to be doing these kinds of deals. So I was using my dad's email and I negotiated a deal to get a snake off him called an odium gene. And then... Right now, I'm pretty sure you can still find odiums and still thousands of pounds. But at the time, it was $13,500 for one. And he only had five of them. Because he's the source of it, right? He, he doesn't want to sell them all five at once. He wants to retain half of them, keep breeding them, manipulate the market, make sure he gets all his stock out at the maximum price. Right? I managed to get one off him. Uh, I spent $13,500, which is like £8,000. Spent the other 2000 getting the facilities up and running, buying more snakes to breed it took over four months to get this male to breed i lost my patience i was a young kid who was thinking well he sold the second one this week two months later he sold the third one the price is going down right and then i, I shot myself so i sold it for four thousand pounds six months later i made a big loss and i cried a lot and uh, i learned a big lesson to be honest with you it is a great experience that's the one of the most unique stories I've ever heard. So, you know, you cried I, I, and you lost a lot of money. What came next? I finished sixth form. They let me on sixth form, even though I didn't graduate high school. That's like pre-college in the UK. A-levels, I did economics, I did product design, I did a bunch of other things and didn't graduate. You know, I got one A-level, that was business. And I, I made up a case study on snakes. I passed the test. And then I started obviously didn't have a degree no university would take me i took an apprenticeship with a like a charity that wasn't a charity um they were defrauding the government but i found that oh, man. yeah yeah so um i was managing office space for seven thousand pounds a year and it was very boring it was six floors 60 tenants ish 
And every now and then someone would come in off the street and go, hey, do you sell offices here? Do you rent offices? And I would go, yeah, we do. And I'd take them around and show them the offices. It wasn't my job, but I was bored. I was 18 years old and I kind of enjoyed speaking to people. So by the end of the year, I'd sold five offices for a total of over £200,000 in a year's contract valuation, right? And I was like, well, I don't really know what I want to do. I've grown up in a household Well, I was aspiring to earn you know, £40,000 a year. That was my ambition. A lot of people said, hey, you'd be pretty good at sales. So I, I went into recruitment, low-hanging fruit when it comes to sales, right? And I met my co-founder, my good friend Omar, I think is also coming on. Uh, the podcast yeah yeah he's gonna i can't wait to share his story yeah yeah so we've got similar stories but but different ones of course he was in recruitment and he was you know a few years older than me experienced doing very well and um, bit of a hot shot in the office and he took me under his wing and he said hey this is how you pick up a phone this is how you send an email and i learned a lot from that guy and um but at the time brexit was going on and we were recruiting automotive professionals so managing directors of manufacturing plants and when all the manufacturing is moving out of England the worst time to recruit and neither of us did very well that year so both of us sort of said to each other well he said it first right he had a lot more knowledge than I did at the time this technology sector this SaaS sector is moving really fast right software as a service why don't we go and recruit sales directors and and account executives and SDRs because one they get paid three times as much like you said, right? And also getting fired or leaving every two years. So there's a lot of them to place, right? And and that's what we did. We went to a firm called Opilio Recruitment. The owner had just sacked all 20 of his staff to hire a new team, decided he wanted to change it up. And that was probably a massive warning sign when you think about it. Um, but we joined anyway, went from 5% commission to 30%. I billed like £90,000 in six months, which is pretty unheard of. Omar fell out with the owner like three months before I did and then left. And uh, then I fell out with the owner. I had Crohn's disease at the time. I was undiagnosed. I was shitting myself 10 times a day. You know, it wasn't wasn't too fun. Yeah, so you you found out you had Crohn's disease. That's a big reveal. Did you always have it or did you develop it over time? So I developed it in recruitment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> stress of recruitment. <laughs> oh man. Okay. At the time I had Crohn's disease. I was a top biller in the office. I was also managing a small team and the owner sort of had gone through a tricky divorce. Had lost a lot of trust in people. It really liked me apparently. Like it showed a lot of love towards me. And the problem was though, I was ill a lot. I was probably having four sick days a month, easily one a week. I was still bringing in all of the money. Like it was a month when we were gonna we were gonna close, right? There was we were, we had a lot of debt. The bills were coming in, and I bought twenty grand in that same month, and and that kept us open. And then I went to London, and because the next week I had a day off, I, I was sick, and I went to London, and I actually shat myself in London. Believe it or not, I had wow. to change my underwear. Yeah, I, I was meeting a client, meeting closing that deal for it was actually twenty two thousand of a, a, a chief commercial officer for a, a startup in um, DAC. And um, the client tells me, says, your boss has just called me and tried to meet me today. I thought, that's strange. This is my account. My boss doesn't really do anything. He's just the owner. That's, that's strange. And I'm owed £6,000 commission this month. I'm already owed a lot of money, but um, £6,000 hard this month. And I go in the next day, I check my bank account because it's payday. And it's also my birthday, actually. Uh, I was turning, turning 22. And um, 
there's one and a half thousand pounds in my bank, which is my basic, it's pennies, it's, you know, 21,000 pounds a year. And uh, I was like, well, where's the other 6,000? Where's that? I ring him up and I go, Phil, I think there's been a mistake. And he goes, oh yeah, just come into the office. I get into the office, gives me my notice. And he says, dude, I think you're lying to me about being sick all the time. And that's why I got sacked. Um, and literally a week later, I ended up in hospital because I was very sick. Um, and just just anecdote, like just to put it into perspective, the inflammation in your blood, it's called fecal calprotectin, should be below 50 if you're healthy. Mine was 2,700 plus. So they were like, how are you walking around? I don't know if you can see my fingers are a bit twisted up. So that's inflammatory arthritis from the Crohn's disease. And that's in my blood. It's actually destroyed part of, a lot of my joints, right? So I was very, very sick. I wasn't making anything up. I, I was working 12 hours a day and just trying to survive. It was a low point in, in my life, man. But, I, you know, I took two months out, not even two months out, two weeks out. And I was interviewing on my hospital bed. And uh, I started to cold call my clients as a salesperson, right? Me and Omar both wanted jobs in SaaS. We applied to the top three recruitment firms in the UK. And both of them rejected us. And why did they reject us? Well, anecdotally, they generally only recruit straight white males from the top 20 universities. They, they hire for their own image. We found that out. We found that out through friends, through a couple of black friends who have a fantastic experience in SaaS in the world of SDR, who didn't get interviews. My cousin, who I referred, didn't get interviews. So both of us went, well, there's obviously some hiring biases here, but we're significantly better than anyone else. We, we believe that. So how do we demonstrate that? Well, we started cold calling. We started video prospecting, started sending cold emails to hiring managers. And that was very successful. I got a job straight away. So did Omar. And I moved out to Amsterdam for my first SDR role. I took the role because they offered me £5,000 as a signing bonus, which was the six, part of the £6,000 I was missing, right? That worked out okay. It got me out of some trouble because I'd pretty much already spent the money before I had it, right? <laughs> I was going on holiday and uh, yeah, did very well as an SDR. I went from mid-market to enterprise to strategic. A lot about the role during that time. For example, when I joined, my manager started after me. Half the role of, of software sales is in using a software to do the sale, right? It's using a sales engagement platform. If your audience have heard of that before. Turns out there was no onboarding to that. My manager didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was as dyslexic with ADHD. I'm a bit of a tech phobe, ironically. I need to be trained how to do something if I'm going to learn it quickly. And I had two months of how, two months of pulling my hair out, trying to learn it. And I thought, well, this could probably be done better. Planted a seed, kept it for later. And then nine months of doing that, I, I had sort of hit my ceiling. I was a strategic SDR and they hired a new global head of sales development in America. And everything was being ran out of America, right? Even though we we're doing business in Europe, specifically in the UMEA. That person came in and just decided to throw out how we were doing things. Instead of sending emails that started with the problem, right? And then the impact, and then just an inkling of a solution. They were sort of three lines long and really effective. We were having to send emails that were three paragraphs long and talking about feature updates and all of this rubbish, right? And we were getting no replies. And that really frustrated me. It frustrated my manager, the sales director that hired me, a lot of people in Europe. I just decided it was probably time to cash in and leave, right? I had a good name for myself. I wasn't going to get promoted with the new politics, but I could take a, a, a move and get promoted somewhere else. 
So I got three offers. I got one off to be a sales development manager in London and uh, and Amsterdam to manage two teams with quite a prominent company and, and one um, with a competitor, second com- direct competitor to my current company as an enterprise AE and then another with a partner to my current company as an enterprise AE and an SDR. And I took the opportunity with the one with the most money. I saw a £120,000 package when I was 23 years old. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of money. That's more money than I thought I'd ever earn. So I took it and um, again, made a wrong move and learned a lot from it. So I joined the company where the two founding salespeople had left. One of them went to Optimizely, the company I was working at. Another one went to another partner of Optimizely. And I met with them both. And I said, and these guys are in their 40s. They're very experienced. And I said, hey, what am I walking into? I want to, you know, know exactly how I can hit the ground running, how I can develop the best relationships internally, all of that. And he said, well, you're going to have a tough time, mate. We're leaving because developers run the show here. 80% of the business comes inbound. So they don't really value salespeople. They don't give you the resources you need to succeed. They kind of bitch about you in the office. So I was like, well, shocking, but I'm, I'm sure I can do better. But I got there, no laptop for me. I had to use my personal laptop. Um, oh, man, that's bad. Yeah, I, I did a full job search to hire a sales development team because I, that was agreed as part of my role. And then I did the search, brought on an excellent recruiter um, who's a friend. And um, we did a lot of work and they decided to pull the search, literally when we found the, the perfect candidates. And my boss started the day after me again and... Uh, I was quite honestly told by her that she doesn't like cold calling. I was like, well, what kind of salesperson doesn't like cold calling? And I said, well, how, how should I develop business in your eyes? I was told that the way that person um, develops business was using emojis and, and um, kind of quite flirting but over LinkedIn DMs. And I was like, well, that's not really available to me. Can you show me a, a different way if I'm, if I'm not supposed to cold call? No, no different way was offered. So I just carried on cold calling and that created a bit of friction. As a new AE, I don't know how to form a slide deck. I don't know how to present, but I do know how to book a shitload of meetings with enterprise accounts. And that's what I did. When it came to taking those meetings, they were like, all right, what are you going to show them? I was like, well, you guys said you would have a story ready for me and a slide deck ready for me, right? I've never sold services before. I've never been an AE before. I'm new to the company you've been at for three years. Where's all this stuff? Your manager also knew we didn't get our ducks in a row before the other sales guys left. So we don't have anything for you. You guys are going to have to figure it out. I was like, well, Okay. And the thing was, I was the only person who was from the space. My manager was not from the space, so she couldn't really figure it out. And I had a go at figuring it out, didn't do very well, but helped start figuring it out. And um, yeah, it just went wrong, man. Like I, I, I booked multiple meetings to hear how my manager would pitch it. They all got cancelled and uh, I didn't pass probation. And I ended up in my room, very depressed, very sad. Another trip to hospital um, with Crohn's. So yeah, that, that happened. It was March 2020, middle of the pandemic. The bad timing. Too. Bad timing. Yeah, 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 yeah. All this stuff was on LinkedIn about the worst time to get a job right now. Hiring freeze. Biggest recession ever is coming, right? So I was shitting myself. I was like, well, what am I supposed to do now? I've, I've achieved a dream, failed at my dream, and now I don't know what to do. So I took two months out to kind of think and just decide what I wanted to do. And I actually received a bit of a bad diagnosis with Crohn's. I got told that I couldn't play any contact sports ever again. I used to be a kickboxer. I used to love fighting. It was me and you spoke about UFC, about MMA. We were both big fans, right? So I actually ended up in a mental health ward then because I, I, 
earlier that summer, I started sparring again. I started trying to get back to it and I actually broke my hand on the heavy bag and I didn't know. I found out in hospital when they x-rayed it, I was like, my hand's been hurting. They were like, oh, it's, it's broken. You can't do any of that stuff ever again. That's depressing. So I, I sort of had some bad thoughts. I had some suicidal thoughts. I ended up in hospital for like um, a mental health ward for a couple of days. And then I, I, I smoked a bit of weed. I got some additional perspective if you can't put your energy into that, which you haven't done realistically for the past three years anyway, you just now realized that it's over, right? You haven't, then put your energy into what you've been putting it into. Try and do something in this world to change how people get jobs, how people get into the SaaS world, right? So I picked myself up. I decided I wanted to be an SDR leader. I was pretty good at that. And I thought that's how I can help more people like me. That's how I can inspire something. I got a role as an SDR leader and it was easy after two months, even though it was a recession, a hiring freeze, cold calling, sending video prospects in, sending cold email, it works. It works no matter what the situation is. And it works in a day. It works in half a day, right? In a week, I had 10 interviews, free offers, literally in seven days. And I was like, well, this is as easy as it's ever been, if not easier, probably, because now I'm so, I'm differentiating myself so much. I can help a bunch of people. Everyone's struggling. Everyone's posting about how it's impossible to get feedback or an interview or whatever it is. So I put a post on LinkedIn, first post I think I'd ever posted on LinkedIn. It got 10,000 views, bunch of likes, and I got like 20 messages overnight. I started to help people. So my friend, Marco Cerner, who's now an advisor to my bootcamp, runs a podcast called Sales Life, which was sponsored by SVA, which are the first sales development bootcamp in America. They were founded in 2017. And Marco said, hey, come tell your story on my podcast. We've got two and a half thousand followers. Most of them are SDRs or aspiring to be SDRs. Could really help a bunch of them get their first job. So I did. I came and told exactly how I did it. I shared examples of messages, of video, of cold calling, everything. And that episode did really well. It's like their third most viewed podcast. And they've had um, people like Keenan, who are, you know, really influential people in our industry, Scott Lees on there. And um, it turned out that SVA, who are funded bootcamp, have over 13 and a half million in funded, use that piece of content to train their SDRs on how to get, how to interview. And I thought, well, that's some validation, right? That means my technique is, it really works. If they're monetizing it, why can't I? Again, another, another thought, I thought, well, there's something there. And from then till now, I've helped 16 people get their first SDR role for free over LinkedIn because I just thought, why not? And, you know, quite a few of them actually got promoted as well. So they really proved that they were the right people in the first place. So I started a role as an SDR leader. I decided, hey, I failed as an AE. I'm, I'm going to go into SDR leadership. This is June 2020 last year. I joined a company that was founding an SDR team. They had, it's called KYC Global. They had no outbound revenue when I joined. Um, that year, we did 600K of outbound revenue. My team did. So pretty good, pretty happy with it for a small company. They ha didn't have a tech stack. They didn't know what an SDR was, right? So I came in, bought all the tech stack, hired and onboarded the SDRs, ramped, did all of that. And the CRO at the time was a consultant. So he was working with five of the companies. He wasn't working with just that company. He was working with a bunch and he was managing like four other sales development teams. And he said, well, Sunil, you're really good at this. Do you want to come do it with me rather than put all your eggs in one basket? I said, great. Yeah. You know, I didn't even need to think about it. He was going to double like 500 pound a day to charge me out as. So I was like, yeah, that's a lot of money for, for me at the time. Um, so I did that. We did very well. We beat two teams. We built two teams successfully 
and, and took another company to an additional uh, seed round, um, which was very good, true ID. Sort of said, well, to, to Phil, we're missing an opportunity here. That we, we could build a boot camp. I feel like I could build a, build a boot camp better than the ones that exist. There's not one in EMEA. The landscape in EMEA is you've got free recruitment firms charging between seven and nine thousand pounds for an untrained graduate. Generally speaking, one type of person every time, and, and that creates a problem for the hiring managers, for the company, for cognitive diversity. You know, there is none, basically. I thought, well, we, one, we can train candidates. We can train them over eight weeks. We can train them using the best in our industry because everyone cares about this. Two, we can go into underserved communities like the one that I came from, and we can give those people opportunity, and that creates fair representation, Right. Free, we don't need to charge seven to nine thousand pounds. We could probably charge five and a half, and that is significantly better than anything else that exists. It, it, it's, there's no downside if you're using one of them for free. And I said this to Phil, and Phil and I got together, we were going to do it. I got Marcos involved, who is now a senior AE officer. He's the guy who was my counterpart optimizely, ran the podcast for SVA. He was a graduate of SBA, part of their fifth ever cohort. Now they're on number 50 something. And he offered a lot of perspective, right? He was like, well, this is where they suck. This is where they're really good. This is how we can beat them, right? So me, Marcos, and, and, and Phil got together, and we were going to found the boot camp. This is December last year. However, at the time, Phil and I were putting in Outreach, which is the world's leading sales engagement platform, to a load of companies. He didn't know what Outreach was before I joined him at his company. And both. And as soon as he saw it, he was like, wow, this is amazing. This takes half the admin out of the role. We need to put this everywhere. We started to, and I thought, well, if we're implementing outreach, why aren't we getting paid twice? Why aren't we getting paid by outreach to implement it as well? So I rang up Tom Casterly, who was their new VP of EMEA. He had just landed. I got I got to speak to him one to one because you know he's, he's just landed. There's no partner manager. There's no sales director underneath him. It's just him at the time. So um, I, I said, hey, look, I'm working with this one man band consultancy. We're putting outreach into a shitload of places. These are the pains I know of having not been trained on outreach properly and how it affected me as an SDR, how I became a, tra- a detractor initially. Do you think we could help you implement it? You don't have any partners in EMEA. It was like, yeah, straight away. And, 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 and that conversation three months later turned into a $1.6 million deal for the first year forecasted. I, you know, Second and third year should grow beyond that. And the business is, is two people. The revenue of the business is less than a third of that. So Phil turned around and said, well, we can't build a boot camp, mate. We've got to build a, a services team to, to implement outreach now. So I went, yeah, I guess we do, right? That, that seems fair. He offered me equity in his business. And, and I thought, yeah, okay. I I'm just want something that I have a, that's my skin in. I have a slice of that I benefit from. It doesn't have to be the boot camp. Then I got approached two weeks later by a boot camp called Salesclay. I have no problem shouting them out. The CEO approached me and said, hey, I've got this boot camp. We've been in staff for the past year and a half. We've delivered two cohorts successfully, placed 80 people. Out of those 80 people, we've got £40,000 in profit and we've got an MVP. And now we need to scale it. We know what we've got. We need to scale it. You look like the perfect type of person to be my COO and co-founder and to scale go to market. And I was like, I'm not a religious man, but this is fucking crazy coincidence right how has how, how this guy just approached me out of nowhere and i i just went yeah okay i got offered seven and a half percent equity in the business and naive me never really had many you know second equity conversation i'd ever had signed up another co-founder came on called sam griffard great guy one of the best people i know in our industry he was previously sales development director 
globally and sales enablement director at a company called Clear Auto Analytics. And he came on as a chief product officer because I'm not a training expert. I know how to bring on the partners, the customers, the investors, but I don't know how to build the product, right? And Sam built the product. The beer, the CEO was supposed to lead the business, lead the direction, bring on all the investors. I was supposed to bring on the partners, the trainers, and then and, and customers. What actually happened was the CEO, it was a lie. He only had a website. There was no previous cohorts. The, the testimonials were, weren't real. The f- images that went along with the testimonials were stock images you can find on Google. Sam and I found that out pretty quickly. Um, we found that out probably um, four weeks in, and then we didn't really speak to each other about it until about 10 weeks in. We both sort of went, well, we can build a ship that will carry the CEO, and it's a great ship, and, and both of us want to build this ship, but the CEO isn't contributing anything. And then I sort of thought, well, naive me was thinking, I will build a business to have 7.5% in it. That was my mindset. I'm happy to carry this guy if it gives me the opportunity to build my dream. I think this can be massive. So percentages aren't that important if it's massive, right? Obviously it is, but I wasn't thinking too clearly at the time. I sort of brought on a team of advisors. I brought on the head of sales at Cognizant, the head of the VP of sales at Sastra, Brian Alsalsa. Some real heavy hitters in our industry. Um, also trainers that have you know tens of thousands of followers to teach their the thing that they built their following off, right, as part of the boot camp. When you have those people around you and they sort of go, well, who's leading this? Who's sort of putting it all together? It, so it was pretty clear I, I was that person. Um, I became that person. And the beard CEO gave me a lot of resistance. Initially, he loved all the ideas. But as soon as people started to ask me rather than him, it became a big problem. And one of the big things we disagreed on was charging candidates. So in America, boot camps charge candidates anything between $10,000 and $30,000. The majority of them preach diversity and inclusion. You can't really achieve that by charging a massive fee. It's just a massive barrier to entry, right? The whole point is we don't charge a candidate a penny, and we never will because we're, we're here for the candidates. The people we're finding are on, are on the lowest money in society when it comes down to it, but they have a lot of talent and ability, and they just don't know how to... They don't know how to turn it into an opportunity. So that's what we're here to do for them. And originally, Sam and Debeer and I agreed that we charge the candidates nothing on the first cohort. And then once it's validated, as per Debeer, we would charge them a fee. That changed overnight to four grand on the first cohort, £4,000. And that's when I sort of said to myself, already all my advisors were saying, hey, this guy isn't doing a lot. Are you sure you... Are you sure you want to carry on doing it? You could do your own thing. And that was the final nail in the coffin, right? I said to Sam, Sam, we never agreed to this. Am I right? He was like, yeah, we never agreed to it. We we need to have a conversation with him. Then I got Phil, my mentor, who's like the 50-year-old CRO I was working with in my ear saying, hey, so no, this is really messed up, man. You are building a business for a guy who's tearing it down as you build it. At the time, we were working for a CEO who had exited four companies. He's worth over uh, over 100 million. So companies like Paymo and Cinch, he's exited to. So he's really, really big in the uh, ID space. And, and he said, over six companies. And I know how to produce a cap table, how each part of it's worth. What are you doing? I said, I'm doing X, Y, Z, Z. And he said, well, you should have the majority. This guy should really have nothing. It's you and Sam who are doing it all. So I had the conversation internally. Everyone agreed. I didn't really want to be the founder. I'm, I'm definitely don't have the experience of a founder. But fortunately, there's a lot of experienced people around me. 
who you know I listen to and I take advice from, and and they all agreed to move with me. Um, Sam did as well, but unfortunately he was head of sales at a company called Gather, a new startup uh, which is local to his hometown. So he moved back home to to work there. He's got equity in that. So Sam is a friend and and a retained advisor to the business, but unfortunately he had to leave as co-founder. But I'm very happy of how it all worked out. If you fast forward for today to today, last Monday, we launched our first cohort with 30 students with 85% of them earning between 16 and 22,000 pound a year, which is the bottom, right? And coming from underserved communities. And we've had 100% attendance from Monday till today, which is the call I just jumped off before this. We're making a real impact, man. And 10% of our profits go to provide laptops and connectivity to those without. I grew up without access to a computer for the majority of my teens and it does affect you. So we want to help people in a similar position. I mean, that's amazing. What a story. And it's just, just crazy how like things happen, but yeah, it's, it's so important to have these sales skills because I see so many people, they have this raw talent. They just don't know where they can go. Right. They just don't know what's the outlet. They don't even know how to navigate, even knowing what a CRM is, right? I know working professionals who don't know what a CRM is, right? Even knowing that, knowing the tools, knowing these companies, knowing what's out there, getting these certification exams, knowing how to talk to people, because I come across a lot of people and even a lot of people who grew up in great backgrounds, they don't know how to have a conversation with an adult. They don't know how to have a conversation with someone out there. They don't know how to follow up. They don't know all these things. So having those skill sets and coming from that environment, it's really like, I can really uplift everyone around me. So thank you so much for that. Because, again, there's so many things I just never knew about. And thankfully, look, I didn't grow from necessarily from the bottom, but I didn't grow rich either. You know, like my dad was a butcher, taxi driver, you know, all those things. So there's only so much he could teach me. He could teach me how to work hard, but there are certain things that he just doesn't have a lot of experience in. You really went through a lot. So would you say like the year that you were sort of in the mental world, that was the hardest period of your life? Yeah, I always dreamed to fight. I know it sounds stupid, but it was just something I always wanted to do, not as a professional, but just go to a gym and start and enjoy myself and stay fit. And having to, I've sort of, you know, another route to that, just with better doctors and, and a better lifestyle. But at the time, I really gave up on it. And that that's crushing. You know, it really is. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I'm an assistant wrestling coach. So I know, like, if I found out I couldn't wrestle... It like sucks. I mean, good thing is it's like I can still coach the kids and stuff, but it's it's different, right? It's something that I personally know how devastating it would actually be. Now, was there a time that your college degree held you back? Like, was there a time that you had opportunity and they asked like, hey, you didn't graduate high school, mate. Like, we can't hire you. So in every job I've applied for, I, I pretty much don't get answered. I wouldn't say it's held me back because I had that little bit of knowledge saying, knowledge desire just stubbornness right even before i knew what sales was i wouldn't take no for an answer i'd always be like well why i'd always try and do something more and i think it goes back to in high school like you had to be in a top class to take part in this competition it was by barclays bank and the winners would get 500 pounds cash and 500 pounds to donate to charity so it's a big deal, right? For a 16-year-old, it's a lot of money. Oh, man, that's a lot of... I mean, even now, I still take that. So. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of money. <laughs> and they wouldn't let me in. I was the most talented when it came to being an entrepreneur. I knew that because I just had it in me. I just The way I spoke to people, the way I was always thinking about how to make money. I already started a snake business a year ago. Like I, I was already in that sort of mindset. But 
He didn't have the grades to be on the class, even though the business teacher said, hey, he should really be on the class. So I fought and I fought and I fought. It was four weeks long to build an app, a money-saving app for kids, right? I managed to get on three days out of the presentation. So they've already had three and a half weeks, all the competition. I joined the team three weeks later and I looked at it and I went, well, what's everyone doing? Everyone's building a presentation. What's the one thing we can do in three days that no one else will have done? Let's just build a fucking iPad, an acrylic iPad that looks like an app, like looks like a, a view of an app and hand that out, you know, the shiny thing to the execs. That's what I did. I went into tech. I didn't even build it myself. I just said, hey, I want this. And the, and the tech teacher built it for me. It was an acrylic Mickey Mouse thing with, it looked quite good, right? But it was just, a, all it was was an, a sheet of plastic with different plastic attached to it. And it came out like two Mickey Mouse characters. And during the presentation, they waffled and waffled and waffled. And then five minutes in, I went, and we built an app. Every executive from Barclays in that room went, you did what? And I got special mention and we won. The lesson from that is when I do a job search, I just make sure I'm so differentiated. I send a video of myself trying to sell the person the product that their team sells. That video might suck. I might do it in the complete wrong way, but I'm the only one who made the effort. You know, I, I tell job seekers, right? Like, look, I do resumes. I do that. But I also tell them that's only one part. Like, there's so many things that if you do it to set yourself apart, you will set yourself apart. Like, you will go above and beyond. You will. It'll be a big difference. But, you know, I find a lot of people don't do it. So it's like when you do do it, it's like, and you're right. Even a crappy video is better than no video, right? Unless it's so crappy. Oh, yeah. you're like, All right. yeah. <laughs> you know? We're talking about, like, in most instances, the entry level right? And in the entry level, they're not looking for a polished AE who's, if you send a 30 seconds to a minute video and you're umming and oring all over the place, they look at that and they go, well, that's someone who I can really develop and who's willing to graft. Yeah, no, I mean, it's all about developing and it's all about the attitude. The attitude is really what they look for because you can train someone with a good attitude, but someone, they could have the, maybe, let's say, some skills that they're looking for, but they don't have the right attitude. It's just like you're always pushing sort of against it, right? So now, Let's kind of talk about your family. How did your family kind of take all these things, right? I've always criticized my parents and my upbringing. And I sort of had a moment where I sort of went, well, that's wrong. My parents aren't the smartest people in the world, right? And that's not through their own fault. I come from a strict Indian family where they used to get beat up as kids, right? They used to get whipped. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't fun being them. When you think of the emotional trauma they went through, and the one thing they installed on me and my sister was being a good person loving each other not everything was perfect but they tried their hardest especially during this cohort you see you know there's 30 people from all different backgrounds and you see some of them didn't have that that in itself is a bigger advantage than a trust fund without parenting i'm very grateful for what my parents did for me my dad was an engineer he worked is an engineer he works 12 hours a day earns about forty thousand pounds a year i hope to retire him in the next year or so um, and my mom works in the shop and is a dinner lady at school, like a canteen lady, you know, at lunchtime. And yeah, they, they were the most loving parents we, we could ask for, to be honest. They were really loving. And I think if anything, like the thing I'm grateful for, I'd say I'm a good person. I'd say my morals are very on point. And I get that from them. That's so important because I've come across people who clearly have trauma and confidence issues from their parents. And honestly, like I tell them, you know, I kind of say, hey, we're not a good fit because I can't fix that. 
it's so hard. It's like a completely different thing. You know, there's like therapy involved and there's other things. And, you know, I'm not equipped to sort of fix that. So, I mean, it's it's good that, you know, you've had that. Now, who are some other people who are always supportive of you and what you did? I'd say I've had a lot of chips opposed to supporters. There was one teacher in school who supported me. The rest didn't. And that was my business teacher. I didn't get any good grades for him, but he knew, you know, he was a very, very smart guy. Um, the results weren't me. I wanted to do well, but I just wasn't academic and I didn't know how to score well on a test. But he supported me. Like he wrote things in my report, even though I was sucking. Like Sunil is the best, one of the best entrepreneurs I've ever met and natural ability. And, you know, stuff like that, that's something that was written in my report when I was 15, when I didn't have any confidence in myself, you know, never been told anything positive by any teacher really. And someone to say that, it made a big difference, dude, like a massive difference, you know? So I'd say that's one of the people. But other than that, I haven't had a massive amount of supporters. If anything, I've been driven by the people who said you can't do it. What are some of the worst things that you sort of heard that you feel comfortable sharing about like the people who said you can't do it? I mean, I grew up, I, I going back again, I was born six weeks premature. I, with that comes a lot of your body doesn't form as it should. When I was six years old, I had an operation on my ass to fix a a hole between my intestine and um, your second arsehole, right? So, <laughs> so one of those. Um, and then I had chronic fatigue syndrome when I was, I was diagnosed with that when I was eight until I was 16 years old and I was part-time through school. So I, I probably did a day a week. I missed the whole year when I was, missed a year and a half when I was in primary school, completely just gone. I'd say if anything, teachers just weren't very understanding and they saw me as stupid and they saw me as, I just got told, like, I wouldn't be anything. For example, when I was not the business teacher, I liked a different business teacher. I was in a class and I was running my snake business and I was trying to do a 10 grand deal, as you know. And I, I was like, sir, can I take this phone call? And he was like, no, no, no. I was like, I and there was just a lot of stuff. I mean, I know you shouldn't take a phone call in class, but there was a lot of things like I showed a lot of, I guess, ability that was just dismissed. You know, it was just really dismissed. It was just seen as a problem. If I were a teacher and I know a kid's getting a $10,000 phone call, I'll be like, look, just give me a, give me a cut yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, or something like that. But no, on a more serious note, it's just like you got to support your students, yeah. man. It's like the teacher is more than just teaching the subject, right? They're sort of shaping that student for life. And it's, it's clear how even that one teacher, you still think about that teacher. Do you still keep in touch with that teacher? No, but I'm actually reaching out to him. Um, so... I'm a mess when it comes to following up with people. I'm having probably 10 business development meetings a day with clients. But at the moment, we're hiring like an assistant in Colombia, also SDRs. And one of the things I plan to do is have that guy, is, is meet that guy soon. I'm just waiting for the resources to be in place to, to have that conversation. Yeah, but... No, I, I think he would, it would absolutely bring joy to him. I want to see what I can... I really believe in paying people back. You know, I want to see what I can if I can do anything in life for that person, because he was a, a great person. Yeah. A great, yeah. Great teacher. Now looking back and you have a lot, what would you say you're most proud of? Just not quitting. Just, I keep going. I keep, I keep pushing. Um, I've, I've been fired from four jobs and it's never been for performance. Right. So it's always, I think if anything, my ability to bounce back, because like I told you, March, 2020, I took two months out. Right. I got sacked from a contract because I wanted to promote an SDR of one of the teams I'm managing when I was working with that 
manager and they promoted the SDR a month after I got sacked. I didn't get, you know, my contract got terminated. I wasn't sacked because I was a contractor, but it was that company KYC Global. I built the team, delivered their first outbound revenue and there was a brilliant SDR on the team and there was one who was suited to other things. And I said, look, you need to promote this SDR because she's ready. I said it to a new incoming VP of sales. VPSL said no, not yet. But the CEO had already basically promised me and her that he was going to, that it was already pretty much communicated that that was going to happen. I went and spoke to the SDR and I said, look, and and I'd previously had these conversations with that person a number of times, right? And and it helped that person a lot in the eyes of the CEO, in the eyes of my boss, the CRO, who was leaving for the new VP of sales. And I was just trying to do the same thing again. And I said, you are viewed in this capacity. That's not exactly fair, but this is what has caused that impression. Because I could see it all, right? I'm I'm on both sides of it. This is how you mitigate that impression and how you get what you want. You know, I learned a lot from that experience. Um, They panicked a little bit, not getting the promotion that was, you know, expected. And then I broke the confidence of the VP of sales. What I've learned, dude, is that I intimidate people because... It's an age thing. It's an age thing. It's, it's, if someone's got 30 years experience on you and you know how you know a better way, it, it's a big problem. And that's generally the trend. I've seen it time and time again. It's such a weird thing, right? When you have certain managers, some managers are like, look, make me look good. I look good. You're going to get taken care of. And others are like, make me look good, but don't make yourself look too good because then they'll wonder why. And it's like you're on opposing teams, you know, good people, they realize, hey, we're all in the same team. It doesn't matter who's captain, who's this. If we get our boat to our destination and we do it, everybody wins. And some people just don't have that mentality. That's it, man. And I've had three good managers, right? I don't want to say like, pretend like I haven't. Um, Bill, my last manager at the consultancy, is like a dad to me, right? He really was amazing. Empowered me to start off by myself to kick this off. Um, the person who hired me into my first SDR role, Alistair Henderson, he's got a stake in my business. He actually reduced his stake by 70% by telling me, hey, you've given me too much of this business. I just want to help you, right? That's the kind of man that guy is. And then uh, another one was the first guy in recruitment who managed me and Omar, Darren Brown. And I would say uh, a lot of my success to those three people, you know? If anything, the bad managers highlight how strong of of managers they were. Because like you said, it's the way my brain works is very outside the box. So if I look at a process, chances are if I can usually come up with a way that works a bit better, right? Um, And either that's a threat or it's an advantage. And a good manager like Alistair, like Darren, like Phil, just goes, I'll explain it to me. Okay, we can make more money doing it that way and it's easier. Yeah. Let's do it, right? And they share in the credit because they're, they're leading the team. Now kind of going back, what advice would you give to your younger self? You know, uh, it's probably, it might be the wrong, I'd just say keep going and, and have more, like, it's funny because if you'd asked me this six months ago, I would have said something very different. What would you say six months ago? I'd probably say be more tempered and listen more. And I feel like I've, it's become more validated recently. I've had 30 meetings Half of them have been with billion-dollar companies about a product solution that I've conceptualized. It's like, oh, and they're all saying yes. I kind of feel like I probably should have backed myself sooner. No, I mean, look, I'm always a fan of people with great attitudes who are moving forward. And I find a lot of people with great attitudes, sometimes the humbleness actually holds them back, right? They kind of think like, oh, I'm not big enough. Why would they talk to me? I got to be more developed. And then sometimes it's like you don't. 
I tried to make sure that I wouldn't cause my own problems, right? And, and by that, I mean, I get things wrong all the time. Everyone does, right? But it's like, there's a team of 10 geniuses around me. I literally go, is this wrong or right? What do you think about? And that's how we get to the right answer pretty much all of the time. If you let your ego take over, you'll just demand things all the time. And it'll, But that's not how it, that's you perpetuating the problem. So I just try to avoid that. So what are some things that, kids who are sort of 18 who want to sort of break into sales do what would you kind of recommend they do i can't lie i, I don't read a lot because my dyslexia my adhd i just don't yeah i, I listen to audiobooks when i get time and um, the top sales book i read was challenger sale and that's the only book i've listened to and um, when it comes to sales but i would definitely say reading and listening to books is you know that's if you get a lot of knowledge from that right it's not a route i've taken the route I would say is just getting that experience. It's starting, right? So start selling. Look at yourself and go, well, where do you want to go? And be intentional about how you're going to get there, right? So have a lot of, if you don't know, and I think for a lot of 18-year-old kids, the question is, for example, for myself, I didn't know what SaaS was. I didn't know what I wanted to do, right? So first, maybe figure that out. I'd probably say start on LinkedIn, start building connections, make sure you have a nice profile picture, make sure you have a description of what your intention is about connecting with people. You know, if you have no experience, you could literally put on your LinkedIn, I'm an 18 year old kid and I'm interested in these three sectors. I'm connecting with people in these sectors to learn about them. So I make sure I make the wrong choice. And a ton of people are going to connect with you and give them those, your time. That's so true that even enthusiasm goes a long way and people like supporting those who are enthusiastic. So what are the future goals for you now? I'd love to be an entrepreneur. I want to change the world, man. That sounds, you know. I want to do the same thing. So it doesn't sound crazy. It doesn't sound crazy at all because I, I want to do the same thing. So I, I completely, I'm with you 100% on that. Quite honestly. And, and you know, this, we'll see how far it goes. But I'd like to create a credible alternative to university um, and tear down education as it stands. School level, every level. Why are we learning about fucking bod maths? And, 99.9% of the population doesn't use, and the other 0.0% has a calculator and a computer that does it for them, right? That's pretty ridiculous. And there's so much that we should be learning about how to manage finances, how to speak correctly, how to engage people, how to code, right? How, how to do all these relevant things that we're still learning on the system. And I think like having those kind of examples and teaching, even maybe teaching the same things, but now showing how it's implemented in code, showing how it's implemented, because a lot of people, they're so far removed. And, you know, when I've had good teachers, I was like, why didn't other people teach it that way? I would have been much more engaged and it would have made a lot more sense. And I would have seen it and you can kind of see the actual applicable thing. So, I mean, good on you for doing that because we need more alternative education, especially for people who are dyslexic and have ADHD, because just because you're, you just don't learn the same way. And then you kind of get criticized for being different, even though through no fault of your own, and then your actual talents don't really get developed. Look, I got your back. How would people get in contact with you and how would people support you? Follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, we've also just bought a podcast, which was the one that SBA used to sponsor. We've acquired it. It's um, called Sales Life. In the next couple of weeks, it'll be rebranded, powered by Trainio, Sales Life powered by Trainio. So we'll be producing content there. I'm hoping you'll be one of our guests very soon. Oh, you let me know. You let me know. I'm ready. I'm ready. But yeah, reach out to me. Uh, I'll reply to everyone. 
I can't guarantee I'll I'll do it in the same week, right? Not the same day, but I'll, I'll reply to everyone. And if I'm uh, happy to meet with people and help people, um, there's no charge, you know. It's just um, if you could do with the advice, I'm happy to offer it. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing. What's something you want to share that you didn't get to share on this episode? I have no idea, but I'll just go with something that popped into my head of 30 seconds before. What do prisoners and self-made millionaires have in common? I don't know. This is a good one. I haven't been asked that. 40% of them are dyslexic. You know what? That reminds me of a quote because I think Richard Branson had a teacher who told him, he's like, look, you're either going to be a millionaire or broke. And, you know, it's like, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it's true. So it, it just shows if, you, if there's an opportunity to kind of learn how to use your brain. Like I feel like a big part of my success was learning how to use my brain right i didn't understand it that was, that was a big part of it it can go either way it really can you can be at one end of the spectrum or the other and there's a lot of factors that contribute to that that as a society we could do something about thank you so much i really appreciate the time this was such a fun episode i know my listeners are getting a lot of they're learning so much really looking forward to supporting your program you know when it finalizes you have more cohorts i hope to send a lot of people your way I wish about I wish that what you had today existed when I was 18. Life would have been a little different. Support Sunil. Thank you so much for your time. You have a wonderful day. Thank you very much, man. I appreciate you. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janayat Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so, you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them, LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving growing in the knowing wisdom is flowing if you didn't know now you know where i'm going if you didn't know now you know let's sing that again everybody no degree no problem any problem we can solve them linkedin somnia keeps us evolving we're growing in the knowing the wisdom is flowing if you didn't know now you know where i'm going no degree no problem any problem we can solve them linkedin somnia keeps us evolving we're growing in the knowing the wisdom is flowing if you didn't know now you know where I'm going, yeah